I am in your midst even now to meet needs. There are many of you who are in this place physically and watching. You have things in your life, concerns, worries, burdens. Cast them over onto me. I am here right now to meet needs. But not only now. Also, when you leave this place, I will be with you in your vehicle to meet needs. I will be with you in your home to meet needs. I am always with you and I am always ready to meet needs. You must learn to trust me. You must learn to believe that I am always with you even if you do not feel anything. Even if you do not sense my glorious presence. I am always with you. I will never leave you. I am always in your presence, whether you realize it or not. Learn to trust me. Learn to lean on me. Learn to talk to me. Learn to see me as your ever-present help, not only in a time of trouble, but also in a time of rejoicing. For I am always there with you. You can trust me more than you can trust anyone else that you know. You can trust me. I will see you through everything. You are my child and I love you and I will not abandon you, says the Lord. Would you please turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'll give you a moment to get there. I want you to get there. I want you to see this. Because it's so very important concerning what we're going to be covering today. Galatians chapter 6. And as you know, um, the Apostle Paul was very instrumental in really the existence of this church. And it wasn't just a church. Because... Did I tell you Galatians chapter 6? I apologize. Galatians chapter 1. Because when he writes this letter, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2, he makes it clear he's writing under the churches of Galatia. That's plural. That means he is writing to several different churches in that region. Now, we're going to pick this up in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That word accursed, it's the Greek word anathema, and it means estranged from salvation for all eternity. Let him be accursed. And then he says, for do I now, or as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, 
I should not be the servant of Christ. This is one of the most severe warnings in the body of Christ, or anywhere you see here um, in Scripture. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. In verse 6, that word another, it comes from the Greek word and it means altered, to an altered gospel. And in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. That word another in verse 7 comes from a Greek word that means the same. So what we're seeing then is, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto an altered gospel, which is not the same that we preached. Now look at this. In verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Who is the him that called them into that grace? Who is that? It wasn't Paul. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people and draws them to the cross of Christ. Now granted, we know that the Apostle Paul was instrumental in ministering to them. We understand that. But when you read throughout the New Testament, just concerning the life of Paul, there are a lot of people that heard him preach, but yet they rejected what he had to say. Well, it wasn't that his preaching was bad, but it was that they were rejecting what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in their lives. Now, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. What this means is they had started out not only hearing or feeling or sensing the conviction and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, they had yielded to it. And not only had they yielded to it, but they were, if you will, on this path of receiving from the Holy Spirit. But something happened. And the something is that there were people who had come into their midst and were teaching them things that did not originate from the Holy Spirit. Now, as we continue to read in the book of Galatians, which we're not going to do today, what we see here in Galatians is that these people were coming in and they were teaching, if you will, a blended gospel. They were teaching things that incorporated Jesus, but then also incorporated other things. And when you go through and really meditate in the book of Galatians, you see that part of what they were incorporating had to do with, well, you, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow, you know, the like the dietary laws and so on and so forth pertaining to the law of Moses. But along with that, it appears as though there may have been a bit of an influence relative to greasy grace. In other words, people who were teaching that, well, you know, the grace of God is such to where you don't need to repent. Now, the reason I say that is because 
When you get over to Galatians 5, you begin to see Paul emphasizing if you live according to, and he lists all these different sins, he said you need to understand that if you keep doing this, if you keep living this way, then you're going to miss out for all eternity with God. You will not go to heaven. You will burn forever in the lake of fire. You cannot continue to do that. And then he reminds them at the end of chapter 5 how that if you're Christ, you've mortified the flesh. and You should live like it. Now, why would you put all of that in, your, in there, dedicate a big chunk of that fifth chapter? And there are only six chapters in the whole book. Why would you do that unless there was some concern about people maybe starting to embrace a gospel of it's okay. A gospel of, well, the grace is such to where you don't have to worry about that. You've been forgiven. In other words, in Galatians, he's identifying a severe problem. And that problem is this. Some people have come into these churches. Remember, it's not just one church. They've been traveling around in these churches and delivering a message that does not line up with what the Holy Spirit had given them. Now the reason I'm emphasizing that is because over the last, I'm going to say three years, maybe slightly more, maybe slightly less, but I'm using three years as a point of reference, there is an altered gospel that has begun to creep in to the body of Christ. It is impacting people in a way they don't realize and they are being removed from Him who drew them in. It doesn't mean that they are denying Jesus Christ, the blood, that He's the Messiah, so on and so forth. What it means is they're being drawn away in a different direction from what got them to where they are now. You're wondering, well, what in the world is this? It has to do with the power of your born-again spirit. And what these folks who teach this don't realize is that what they're actually teaching is a variation on the theme of the grace covers it all and you don't have to repent. They're not telling people they don't have to repent. A lot that I know of yet. But what they're saying is, you're born again and there's really not a need for a whole lot of this other stuff because the power of your new nature is enough. Well, let's think about that. And let's go to the Word of God to find out how true that is. Now, to give you a brief summary, and you don't have to turn to this. In fact, you can turn to First um, Peter. Let's turn to First Peter, chapter one, to get a, uh, to have a, a brief summary. In Genesis chapters one and two, what we see is that God created man to be a non-deified replication of Himself. Just saying that causes a lot of Christians consternation because, you know, how can you say, well, didn't he say in Genesis, let's make man to be 
you know, in my image and likeness and so forth. In our image and likeness. That's what he said. So therefore, his intention was for, for humanity to exist as a non-deified replication of himself. And when it says that um, God created Adam and then he breathed into Adam, you know, the breath of life. Well, that does not mean that God took a deep breath of oxygen and blew it into Adam like he was doing CPR or something like that. I mean, what that means is that God literally released from within himself his own life and nature into Adam. And Adam became a living soul. That's what it says in Genesis. Or a soul that has life. So Adam existed and then God released his life into Adam. Adam now has the life and nature of God. But, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, but Adam was the one held most accountable. He chose another doctrine. And when he heard this other doctrine, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 3, it was a blend of what God had said and then an altering of what God had said. So he listened to that other doctrine and he applied it to his life and he died spiritually. Now, he lived on earth over 900 years, but he died spiritually that moment. And that ultimately led to the physical death. Now, all humanity that is or who is a descendant of Adam, meaning your earthly father was a human male. Every single human since that time, born of an earthly father, has received that sin nature. No exceptions. Jesus was not born of an earthly father. Yes, he had an earthly mother, but he was not born of an earthly father. He is the only human to be birthed into this world with the life and nature of God. Adam was not birthed as we understand the birthing process. Okay, now, we move forward into the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, I mean literally starting in Genesis 3 and going all throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, a Savior was prophesied. Now, God used so many different people over a period of 4,000 years to prophesy the coming of the Savior, the Redeemer, the Christ, the Messiah. And God did it in many different ways. It's almost as though God said, okay, I'm going to go through uh, Moses and I'm going to prophesy the Savior this way. Then well, I'm going to go through David and prophesy. And I'm going to go through Isaiah and prophesy. And I'm going to go through... So all these different writers in the Old Testament, God used them and began prophesying. Sometimes it was an explicit prophecy. He's coming. Other times it was a lot of imagery. Painting the picture that he's coming and what he would do when he got here. Well, we then move into the four Gospels. And what do we see? Jesus, the Savior, the one prophesied, was born. And then he ministered, starting at about age 30, 
He ministered for about three and a half years. He taught the kingdom during that time. He did not teach the law of Moses. He confronted the religious leaders over their error when they taught the law of Moses incorrectly. He also confronted them over traditions that they had added to the law of Moses. But Jesus taught the kingdom of God. In fact, he said in one place, um, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached unto you, is taught unto you. Then, in uh, John chapter 3, he explained that a person has to be born again in order to gain access into the kingdom. A person has to be born again in order to have that Redeemer life in them. To have that Savior life in them. Or, another way to say it, to have the Genesis 1 life in them. Because when God said, and I don't remember the chapter and verse, but when God said um, over there, I believe Jeremiah, he said, when my word goes forth from my mouth, it won't return void, but it will accomplish everything that I send it forth to accomplish. So when God said in Genesis 1, let's make man in our likeness and in our image, that word went forth. It's not going to return void. Adam messed up. But that word, man in my likeness and image, was still out there. So through Jesus Christ, it became possible for humanity to once again have Genesis 1 life. To be a non-deified replication of God. Now I know that you know our bodies are nowhere near what the body of Adam was, but there in Philippians it tells us that the day is coming when Jesus is going to change our bodies to be like unto his eternal glorified body. So the body change is coming. But spiritually, if you're born again, that change has already taken place. Now, what happens when we get born again. Well you're in First Peter. Verse 23. Being born again. First Peter 1. Verse 23. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed. But of incorruptible. By the word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever. So Jesus said. You have to be born again. And. Here we see. That we get born again. By the word of God. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus, John chapter 1, that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're putting our faith in the word of God. But along that, along with that, in the word we see that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the Savior, you believe that and you believe that God did raise him from the dead, and you put your faith in him, then you become born again. Well, turn over to John chapter 17. So we see that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're born again by the incorruptible word of God. Now, that's very important. The incorruptible word of God. Now, very briefly... What that means in part is you can preach and teach whatever you want. You are not going to change the Word of God. So 
You just have at it. Do whatever you want. You can tell people whatever you want to tell them. But God's Word is not going to change. Ever. It is established for all eternity. So now we see that we've put our faith in the Word. In Jesus. And that by the Word, the incorruptible Word, we have been born again. Well, John chapter 17. Verse 17. Jesus is praying. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now this verse 24 where he says, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. What do you think that means? Now don't answer, <laughs> just, just think here. What do you think that means? That they may be with me where I am. Where was Jesus? He was in the position on earth as the Son of God. Being one with God. He wants, his prayer here is that they would be one in me. And I in them. And that they would be with me where I am. Being in this position of sonship unto Almighty God. Having that kind of unity with Jesus and with God. So we see then, once we put our faith in Jesus Christ to be born again, that takes us to a place of obviously being in the kingdom, but it also takes us to this place of having a unity with God. We'll never be deity, but we have become one with Jesus by virtue of of spiritual life. Jesus was one with God here on earth by virtue of spiritual life. Since we are now one with Jesus by virtue of spiritual life, we're also one with God by virtue of spiritual life. Now look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at this. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So, we've accepted Jesus, and Jesus prayed that we would be one with Him. Him and us, us and Him, and so forth. Then we see that if anybody is in Christ, that person is a new 
creation. A new creation. The old things have passed away. All things are become new. Here's the challenge. What's become new? What do you know has become new? What do you think has become new? If you've accepted Jesus, what has become new? Now leave your finger here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. Keep in mind what we just read in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ephesians 4.24, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See that? Put on, that phrase put on means live according to. And that you live according to the new man, or another way to say that would be the new creation. Your new creation. Which, after God, according to the pattern of God and who He is, that new man is created, brought into existence as, or brought into existence in righteousness and true holiness. That means this new man, this new creation, was brought into existence as God used His own righteousness and His own holiness to create that new man on the inside. Now we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we look in verse 21. It says, For He, God, hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Are you following this? I mean, it's not complicated. So we see then, the moment that we get born again, we're born again the moment we put our faith in Jesus. We're born again by the incorruptible Word of God. And Jesus prayed, once that happens, I want them to be in absolute unity with me in the same way that I am in absolute unity with you, O Father, which ultimately means they will be in absolute unity with you, all from a spiritual perspective. And then we see that we are a new creature or a new creation, and that this new creation is also referred to as the new man, and that this new man is created out of the very righteousness and true holiness of God himself. We see that Jesus was made to be our sin so that we could be made or created as the righteousness of God. So now here we are. We're born again and we have the life and the nature of God. When we, we don't have to turn to this, but the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted like as we are. You can go over to Hebrews later and read this. That he was tempted like as we are in every way. Tempted to commit sin. But yet, he didn't commit sin. Now, how was it that he didn't commit sin? Well, because he's the Son of God. Yes, but once we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are we not the Son of God? Not the Savior, not the Redeemer, not the Christ, not the Messiah, but are we not a Son of God? And do we not have unity with Jesus and unity with the Father in the same way that Jesus had unity with the Father? Well, the answer to all of that is yes. So therefore, if Jesus lived on earth by the power 
of his new nature, and he never committed sin, then what does that tell us? It tells us that if we live here on earth, by the power of our new nature, we will never commit sin. And I'm telling you right now, you've got Christians out there that want to go at it over that one. How can you say that? Well, it's pretty easy. Because I'm not altering the gospel. I'm sticking with what God has said in His Word. And therein we have another problem. Because you have a lot of Christians out there who mean well, but they've altered the gospel to present it as being something that is based, now listen to me, on the flesh of man rather than the Spirit of God. Not sin, but flesh. What does that mean? Fleshly effort to be everything that God wants. As opposed to a spiritual transformation which has made me everything God wants. How I live by that is a totally different story. But it doesn't change who I become. So now think about this. Here we are, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We were born into this world with a spirit that had a sin nature. But now we have a spirit which has the nature of God. The new man. Now look in Romans chapter uh, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we're just going to uh, see a sampling of, I guess you could say, kingdom living. Now, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ, we are buried with Jesus by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. Now, what he's telling you here in this verse is that in the same way that God used his life to raise Jesus from the dead, he used that, that same life, no difference. He used that same life, that same spiritual life, to raise us from spiritual death. Eventually, the body will be changed as well. But for right now, he's raised us up from that spiritual death. And he says, because of that, we should walk or live. Remember, it talks about, you know, put on the new man. Well, here, this is a similar thing. Even so, we should put on the new man or walk in newness of life or live according to the newness of life. Live according to the new man. Live according to the new nature. And if you jump down, uh, same chapter to verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, this is telling me that I have the potential to live like Jesus. Jesus, tempted and always like as we are tempted, but without sin. Then he says, you need to consider yourselves as dead indeed unto sin, but alive Unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if I'm living according to the newness of life, then I will reckon myself dead to sin, meaning no matter what temptation shows up, I'll not give in. I mean, if I'm dead to it, it has no control over me. 
Absolutely none. So therefore, if I'm doing this, I won't sin. I, I will not. <laughs> At what age does this kick in? You say, what do you mean? Oh, okay. If a kid at age seven accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is he exempt from living this way until he hits 18? Age 21? No. So what that means is, if you're age five, age seven, age nine, whatever, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, (laughs) you have no excuse for mouthing off to your mom and dad. You have no excuse for pitching your little fits there at the house. You have no excuse for acting like a blankety blank at home to your parents. None. Don't give me this. Well, I just, I'm just a kid. Uh huh. You're just a kid. And what did Jesus do at age 12? He knew more than the experts. Send the word. See, see, Let me tell you guys, the more you understand about the Word of God, is the more you understand you don't have an excuse. None. And too many Christian parents, they put up with guff from their their children because, well, they're just kids. Kids will be kids. Are they born again? Yeah. Then you put the Word in front of them and say, this is you. And you bless God better live like this. Because if you continue on this path of rebellion to me, you need to understand it's rebellion unto God. You could end up burning in the lake of fire forever, and it ain't on me. It is all on you. We want to, we want to, we want to go beyond God's grace and extend human defined grace to children. Well, they're just children. You can buy into that if you want. But nevertheless, it says here, we're dead to sin. Live like it. Well, then if you look over in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What spirit is he talking about here? He's talking about the new life, the new nature, the new man, the born-again spirit. Trust me, if all this was left up exclusively to the Holy Spirit, (laughs) kids wouldn't mouth off. No, no Christians would be committing adultery. I mean, there'd be no sin. None. And the proof that all this garbage is going on in the body of Christ is the proof that it's not up to the Holy Spirit. It's up to the individual. He says, now look at this. He says, if you, if you, if you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Well, look over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, or walk in the newness of life, or walk according to the new man, or live according to the new nature. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is. Foul language won't come out of your mouth every little time you get upset about something. And then we already read in Ephesians 4.24 where it says to, you know, put on the new man. Okay. So all this that we've read so far here, the Romans 6, chapter 6, verses 4 and 11, Romans 8.13, Galatians 5.16, 
And then what we saw over there, Ephesians 4.24, my question to you is, how do you do that? How? How do you do it? Because right now in this room, there are people dealing with stuff you shouldn't be dealing with. And there are people in this room listening. You're battling a lot of frustration because why am I still like this? There are people, let's just say there might be some things going on in your life shouldn't be there. And how many more times are you going to lay in bed at night wondering, why can't I stop? What's wrong? God, why aren't you moving in my life? So on and so forth. In other words, after everything we've read, where it says, okay, here's who you are, here's what you're to do. Okay, well fine. How do I do that? How? And, you know, in this room right now, it's very possible that very few of you could answer that question. I mean, if, if you know, given the, the, the answers we know how to give, you know, well, you just got to trust God. Well, I did. That's how I got born again. Well, you just got to believe. Well, you just got to, you know, no, 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 no. You know what? Toss that. How? How do you do it? How? And a lot of folks, well, I, I, okay, Brother Martin, fine. I don't know. I'm just not sure. Okay, thank you for your honesty. I mean that. Because I've been there too. See, prior to being born again, you never had God's life and nature on the inside. That's why it's Call a new man. <laughs> you never had it before. Never. You, you did not know what it was. So, how do you access the power of your new nature to completely subdue everything that is out of line with your new nature? How do you do that? Most Christians don't know. They have no idea. Why not? Why don't you know? Why can't you answer that? Well, it's very simple. It's because you don't know. <laughs> and what I mean is, okay, let's say that I tell you I'm going to buy you a new car. Brand new car. You're like, ooh, wow, that's exciting. I said, listen, it's going to be a nice one too. So I bring that brand new car to your house and deliver it. Knock on the door, and I hand it, here you go, here are the keys. And you're like, oh my goodness, wow, you got to be kidding me. Why, that's a brand new Ferrari. And that thing's worth over $100,000. Yeah, well, I love you here, it's yours. And you're like, woohoo. So you run out, you get in the car, and all of a sudden you realize it's a stick shift. You've never driven a stick shift. You don't, you don't know how. You ever, you ever been in a car with somebody who's like learning to drive a stick shift? You get whiplash. You don't know how. And right now you're faced with a major dilemma. It's like, okay, I know the car will run because he drove it here. But I don't know what to do. I said, well, but it's yours. I mean, here's the title. Everything, it's yours. Yeah, but I don't know what to do. But it's yours. Well, 
how do I drive it? Well, you, you get in, you start it up, and you go, yeah, but it's a stick shift. I'm used to, like, just put it in D and go. <laughs> I don't know what one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven are all about. It's not a rehearsal for counting. I mean, that, those are called gears. Okay, that's the way it is with the new nature. You never had one before. And so you don't know what to do with it. And so what happens is, <laughs> you end up with this, this, I don't know. I see what the Bible says, but I don't know. Well, look in Titus. Look in Titus. You're going to see a major clue to this. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, one, by the washing of regeneration, now look at this, and two, renewing of the Holy Ghost. See that? Alright, what are we seeing here? Very briefly. The washing of regeneration. Well, the blood of Jesus, it washes away the sin, washes away the sin nature and so But the renewing of the Holy Spirit. What have we read so far? That this, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things are renewed or made new. Put on the new man. Walk according to the new man. See this? The renewing of the Holy Ghost. So here's what we see. The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ to be born again, there's the washing of regeneration, but the Holy Spirit steps in. He's the one who puts that new man in us, if you will. He removes that old sin nature man. Or I'm trying to you know, give you imagery here. The Holy Spirit is the one that puts the new man on the inside. All right, now, since the Holy Spirit is the one who put the new man on the inside, don't you think the Holy Spirit knows how to drive a stick shift? You know what I mean here. All right. Look in John chapter 14. So we see the Holy Spirit is intimately involved with this born-again process. In John chapter 14... Look in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it, or reveal it, unto you. Now look over in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 16, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit, 
our born-again spirit, our new man, our new nature, our new creation. The Holy Spirit beareth witness with our born-again spirit that we are the children of God. We are birthed of His Spirit, if you will. We are renewed by His Spirit. We are one with Him, one with Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, now, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Teach, guide, reveal, bear witness. Great! So if he's doing that with everybody who's born again, then why are Christians having so many problems? <laughs> if this is what he is doing, which he's doing it, but how does he do it? How? Well, Brother Martin, I don't really know. Well, we need to know. <laughs> do we not? All right, look in Acts. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we know what uh, is going on. It's the day of Pentecost. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, the 120, were all with uh, one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not the born-again experience. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Follow me? What's the first thing that happened? What's the first thing that happened after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Speaking in tongues. That's the first thing. Now look over in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is ministering at Cornelius' house. And in verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, were Christians, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. See that? So what happened as soon as these folks were filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, they began to speak in tongues. Now look over in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. See that? Okay, now, what we've seen are three different circumstances where the first thing that happened when people got filled with the Holy Spirit they began to speak in tongues. Do you think God is trying to give people a clue? Alright, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look what the Apostle Paul says. Now, we know in this chapter he's talking a lot about speaking in tongues and so forth. But look in verse 21. He says, in the law it is written with... Now, see that the next two words says men of? Okay, that's not supposed to be in there. That men of is in italics. 
I literally took a pencil, I put an X to those words, because they're not supposed to be in there. In the law it is written, with other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now leave your finger here in 1 Corinthians 14 and go back to Isaiah 28, and we'll see what the Apostle Paul was talking about. In Isaiah 28, we pick this up in verse 7. And he's talking about those who are ministering. It's a prophecy, but relative to that time, he was speaking about those who were uh, supposed to be the religious leaders and teaching the people. But it's actually a prophecy for what is going on even today. He says, but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment, meaning in, in their ability to discern what is and is not true from the word of God. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. That word filthiness literally means dung, so that there is no place clean. Whom shall he, God, teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and with another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. In other words, God is saying, my standard does not change. He's looking ahead. When, when the kingdom is established on earth, meaning when people have the opportunity to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, the question here is, whom shall he teach? How shall he make them understand? With stammering lips and another tongue shall he speak to this people. And what God is saying here prophetically, when that day comes and people can be filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not going to have to listen to preachers and teachers who set the table of the Lord with dung and vomit. They can spend time with the Holy Spirit who will teach them line upon line and precept upon precept. And he says, the problem is, even though I'm giving you this revelation of of this truth in my word, people aren't listening to it. People aren't receiving it. Now listen, and people are rejecting it. Even people who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit are rejecting it. Now go back over to 1 Corinthians 14. In in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Okay, You're not speaking to men, you're speaking unto God. No man understands you. That means that it is not tongues for interpretation. This is me communicating with God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I'm speaking ministries, or I'm communicating in mysteries. What does that mean? What it means is, okay, relative to this message today, I don't know how to mortify the deeds of the flesh by the power of my new nature. It is a mystery to me. And God said, well, that's not a problem. Because the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration. He knows all about that new nature. He knows how to help you. So, if you'll spend time praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit is then going to be able to reveal unto you the power of your new nature. It will no longer be a mystery to you. And you'll be able to live according to who you have become. You follow this? 
Well, if you look in verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Okay, you know what? When it comes to edifying the church, I'm trying to figure out how to mortify the deeds of the flesh. I don't really care if you are more are, are edified. I'm the one that needs the edification right now. You understand what I'm saying? You know, glory to God if you're edified, but the thing is, I gotta figure out how to live according to the new man. I gotta figure out how to walk this way. I have to figure out how to mortify the deeds of the flesh. I have to figure out how to reckon myself to be dead unto sin. I need this edification. Because otherwise, I don't really understand this. Well then if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verses 14 and 15. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, my new nature, my new man, my new creation prayeth. But my understanding is unfruitful. Why is that? Because my brain does not understand that language that I'm praying in. It's a miracle gift from the Holy Spirit. He says, well, what is it then? In other words, well, then what do I do? <laughs> he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I will pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll even sing with the spirit and sing with the understanding also. So we see the Apostle Paul, we're not going through all of 1 Corinthians 14, but you see what he's revealing. And he's saying, this is what I will do. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, how do you think I'm learning? How do you think I'm gaining? How do you think I'm growing? I'm doing this. That's how I'm turning around and writing these things to you. I'm getting this revelation from God. Now look over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit, the Holy Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit, the Holy Spirit, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That phrase cannot be uttered means cannot be uttered in an articulate language. Another way to say that would be cannot be uttered in an articulate language known by man. With groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6 when uh, he said, this is how you pray. Um, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then we see here that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us according to the will of God. Therefore, if I'm praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit is praying through me according to the will of God, which is the very thing Jesus said needs to be established in my life. Your kingdom come and your will be done in earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. How do I do that? What is the will of God? Here you see how to find out. The Holy Spirit... He prays for us, through us, according to the will of God, so that the will of God can be accomplished in us. Thing is, you gotta want it. You have to want it. Now, this, what we covered so far, this answers a massive amount of questions. The Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration. He knows every aspect about our new nature. He knows how we can live by the new nature. We've never had a new nature. Until we got born again. So we need somebody who is the expert of all experts on the new nature to teach us all truth about living by the new nature 
and subduing everything that is opposed to the new nature. You follow this? Because we don't know. We don't know how. And the proof of that, how many Christians don't know? And yet the answer is right here in front of us. Right here. Now let me ask you a question. See, there are folks out there that are telling you, that are, that are teaching, that, and I want to be kind of vague here, because I don't want to identify people by name, at least not yet. But they're saying, well, it's all by the new nature. You just live by the new nature. You don't have to pray in tongues to overcome sin. Well, now, there's truth to that, because if you live according to the new man, you won't commit sin. I mean, that's what we've seen. But if you don't know how to live according to the new man, then what happens is, you're relying on your flesh effort to live in the way that God wants. And even Paul said, hey, that's, that's like will worship, which is commendable to a point. So I need help, because I now have access to something I never had before. And I don't know what to do with it. And the proof, the proof that you just can't sit around and wait for the new nature to rise up and conquer everything, it's all the denominations out there that don't even believe you have a new new nature, even though it's here in Scripture. Churches that even this day are standing up and teaching from the King James Bible, just like me, but yet they're going to tell you you still have a sin nature contradicting the fact that Scripture says you're a new creation. Well, if I still have a sin nature, what's the new creation? (laughs) What is it that's new on the inside of me? I need help. And I can't depend exclusively on those who don't know this. Why would I go to a church that isn't teaching me what you've heard to this point? Why would I do that? But then here's something else. Why do we have the Bible? Now think, why? Why do we have the Bible? Well, see, in the Old Testament, God prophesied over and over again, different ways, different methods, about us having a new heart. He said, I'll put my spirit within them. He said, I'll be a father unto them. He said that uh, the time was coming that the Gentiles would be gathered in. Now, When you think about all of these things that God prophesied in the Old Testament, why in the world didn't the Jews figure it out? And here's what I mean. You know, Jesus comes along and He's preaching, He's teaching, He's ministering. And the Jews, they felt like that they were already in the kingdom. And yet Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't be in the kingdom. And yet the Jews, they felt like they're already going to heaven Because they had the law and the prophets. And Jesus said, you think you have eternal life. You read about this in John chapter 5. You think you have eternal life simply because God gave to the Jewish people the law and the prophets. He said, you don't understand. Search the scriptures. They point to me. And yet you won't receive it. You deny this. And you hold on to that which cannot save you. Well, why do we have the Bible? I mean, you'd think the Jews would have figured this out. They read it. They had it memorized. They could quote it. But they still didn't get it. In fact, the whole thing of, of uh, needing to be uh, born again, needing new life, 
when they read in Genesis chapter 3, well, God says, or in chapter 2, God says, the day that you eat thereof, you shall die. And then they keep reading in Genesis, and they read Adam 8. Weird thing is, he didn't die. I mean, it was over 900 years later. The man finally kicked off. What's the deal with this? They didn't put it together that he died that day spiritually and that the physical death came later. They didn't get that. I mean, you'd think somebody would pick up on this, and they didn't. But yet, here they had the Scriptures. All this was in front of them, and they didn't catch on. That Jesus comes along, He is fulfilling. He's not only fulfilling Scripture, He's also fulfilling a bunch of their traditions. And they still would not accept. So, what's the deal with that? Alright, well, let's think about this. Now that we're born again, we can look at those religious leaders of the Jews and say, ah, you guys, you know, you just, you just all messed up. But I'm born again. I have the life and the nature of God. I have that born again spirit. Okay. And the born again spirit, the new nature is all that we need to live exactly the way that God wants and to live according to his will. Okay. That's what's being taught. Okay, if that's true, hear me out now. If that's true, why in the world do we need the New Testament? Why? If all I need is a new nature and that's it, nothing more. Why in the world do I need a new, why do I need the New Testament? Why? Because see, in the New Testament, it reveal, I'm talking like from Acts on, it reveals kingdom life. It reveals kingdom living. It says things like, mortify the deeds of the flesh by your spirit. Well, if, if that's just going to happen, why do I need to read about it? It says, walk according to your new nature and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, if that's just going to happen, I mean, if my new nature is such to where that's just going to take place, why do I need to read about it in here? Why has all of this been written? Why, why is there so much in here about getting your doctrine right and stop sinning and, you know, be holy for God is holy? Why is all this in here? If all I need is my new nature and that's it? That's because, excuse me if I sound blasphemous, we need more than the new nature. The new nature is, is, it can do it. But if we don't know how to do it with the new nature, then guess what? It ain't going to happen. It just flat out is not going to take place. Why send the Holy Spirit if our new nature is totally sufficient on its own? Why? He will teach you all things. He will guide you into all truth. If I pray in tongues, I'm praying mysteries. My spirit is praying. I'm edifying myself. Okay, well, you know what? If my holy, if my, if my born again spirit created, created out of holiness and righteousness, if it is sufficient in and of itself, then why send me the Holy Spirit? Why make the third person of the Godhead available to me? Why in the world would I need tongues if my new nature is fully capable of understanding scripture without additional help? from the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. My new nature is capable, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it tells me I have the mind of Christ. Being capable is one thing, but living up to your capability is something else. 
Now, this may come as a real shock, but the reason that God said all this about the Holy Spirit, about Him teaching, Him leading and guiding, Him taking that which is of Jesus and and revealing it unto us, about praying in tongues, all these things that we've seen, the reason God did that is because He knew, left to ourselves, it's not going to happen. He knew that. Yeah, and we think, well, I don't know about all that. I mean, you know, I've been sitting here listening to you for years, Brother Martin. Yeah, well, you know what? (laughs) You're listening to somebody who prays in tongues? Come on! (laughs) In other words, I'm passing along to you what gets revealed to me. Yeah. God knew that left to ourselves, we would not live fully according to the new nature. Because we'd say, well, I don't know how. He'd say, yeah, but you, you have a conscience on the inside of you. A convicting conscience. And how many times have we overridden that? Yeah. The more you pray in tongues, the more the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, hey, that conscience in there. Hey, hey, convict, convict. Yeah. And there in Romans chapter 8, where it talks about how He helps us with our infirmities. What are the infirmities? Very briefly, Anything that interferes with us not living exactly the way God desires. He helps us with that. If my new nature, left totally to itself, did not need this help, then God wouldn't put this in here. And I wouldn't need to pray in tongues to receive that help from the Holy Spirit. How does He help us with our infirmities? Well, whether you want to call it sin or a lack of knowledge concerning the Word of God, whatever it is, however you want to define an infirmity, the bottom line is, when I pray in the Holy Spirit, He doesn't just reach inside and automatically change everything. What He does is reveal unto me how I can change it. Because that's my new nature. He'll let me know, here's the power of your born-again spirit. You don't need to be using that language all the time. Now stop it. Here's the power of your new nature. That woman ain't your wife. Back off. Here's the power of your nature, your new nature. <laughs> I don't care if you do have the internet. You shouldn't be going to that website or any lot. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if God knew we did not need the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He would not have given the Holy Spirit to us. And this part here in Romans chapter 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in the area of our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. How many times have we cried out to God, I don't know what to do. In other words, I don't know what to pray about. Here's a situation. God, I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what to do. God, why won't you help me? God, please. Holy Spirit says, tell you what, why don't you spend some time letting me pray through you? And we're going to come to a resolution in this. See, you can take somebody who's attending a church that doesn't teach much of any of this, but they're born again. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they start praying in tongues and just say, God, please, you know, there's got to be more than what I'm getting in this church. There's got to be more. And they're praying in tongues, praying, praying, praying. You know what's going to happen? Eventually, God is going to lead them to a website like this one, where if they live in the area, He may direct them to this church somehow, some way. Because the Holy Spirit will move in their life to help them understand where they can be taught from the fullness of the table of the Lord. 
if we did not need the Holy Spirit to help us with our infirmities because we already know how to pray exactly the way we should pray over everything, (laughs) this verse would not be in here. But it is. This is God telling us, you're not as smart as you think. You need the help of the Holy Spirit when it comes to praying for things. And and we, we can't just sit down and say, okay, God, today... I am praying that you fix my wife. Shandai, 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 shandai. The Holy Spirit is, you know, in between giggles, the Holy Spirit is working on you. (laughs) Oh, God, I need a million dollars. Shandai, 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 shandai. And the Holy Spirit just shakes his head and says, no, you need to learn how to steward what you have. I mean, we could go on with this. If we didn't need this help, if we already knew what to pray for as we ought, if we didn't need any kind of assistance in in dealing with these infirmities, this would not be in here. See, the Bible is the documentation. The Holy Spirit is the line-upon-line teacher. We need the teacher to break down the documentation so we understand it. You know, a lot of Christians talk about, I just want to experience the supernatural of God. What they don't seem to realize is when you're praying in tongues, you're experiencing the supernatural of God. Because that is a miracle, supernatural gift that only comes from God. So every time that you pray in tongues, you are participating with a miracle. That's pretty awesome. I'd just like to see one miracle in my life. Okay, pray in tongues. <laughs> Come on. You can do it. Pray in tongues. The reason I'm pointing all this out is because these people that are teaching all of this about, it's all by the new nature. They're moving away from the necessity of praying in tongues to deal with the infirmities, to receive the teaching, everything that we've seen. They're moving away from that, which is similar to the, it's all by grace. It'll just happen. Now, based on what I have heard about this teaching, and I may pick up with this next week and cover some more. Guys, if you have not been exposed to it yet, you better mark it down. There's a good chance it's headed in your direction. I hope it doesn't. But when it does, listen to me. This message today is a preemptive strike against that. I'm not going to sit back and wait until it infects the congregation. I'm dealing with it now. And I'm telling you, if you haven't heard it yet, be ready because you may. And if you do, you better be ready because it is going to be so slick and so smooth and sound so right. Just like the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, what he could have written in there was, how in the world were these guys so slick in what they did? They got you convinced to move away from what I had taught you and embrace what they were teaching. Because some of these people that are doing this, they have heard about everything I've shared today. They've heard it. And they're drifting away. Be on your guard. 
this falls right into what Jesus warned about in Matthew about, you know, what are the signs of your return and the end of the world? And he said, you better guard yourself that no one deceives you. Because it's happening. Praise God. Now, right there where you sit and where you folks are watching this. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, receive that gift of praying in tongues. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing mystical about it. It's just receiving this miracle gift from God. He'll give it to you. He's not going to give it to you if you don't want it. But if you want this, you can have it. And I'm going to lead in a prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit right now. And when I do, at the end of the prayer, when I say in Jesus' name, Amen, I mean, you repeat it after me, and then I'm going to start praying in tongues. People here are going to start praying in tongues. And if you've never prayed in tongues, just start praying in tongues. And, and you cannot keep speaking in English. You know, Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, I worship you. No, you have to stop at the English and start making those sounds. It might sound to you like baby talk. You have to use your breath, your lungs, your lips, your tongue. You have to be the one that releases the energy to speak it. But the Holy Spirit works a miracle and turns it into the language of tongues. Now, if this is what you want, you can receive it right now. So I'd like everybody in here to, uh, well, everybody in here, even if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, join in this prayer in support of all the others. But dear Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And I ask you right now to fill me with the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, I receive you into my life. And I'm asking you to give to me. The gift of praying in tongues. I received that gift from you. And I'm going to pray in tongues. I will not let my mind convince me I can't. I will speak in this language you give me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just keep praying. Just keep praying in tongues. And as you're praying in tongues, just listen to me. It's very important for you to pray in tongues as often as you can. And as you do this, like when you when the service is over, you go home, you spend time praying in tongues. Because the Holy Spirit will confirm to you, you weren't just making it up. That this was a gift from God. And the more you pray in tongues, the more the Holy Spirit is going to confirm this to you, expand that language. And He's also going to do everything that we have read in Scripture. Guys, we have to be on our guard. We have to watch it. Because Satan is moving, and even people who do not deny Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can begin to be moved away from the fullness of truth and embrace an altered gospel. Praise God.